0: Hello, Hello, horror, horror fanatics. fanatics. I'm Frank.
1: And I'm Jen. And we welcome you to our weekly podcast. Oh! oh the
0: the horror. horror! Thank you for joining us as we dive deep into all things horror, supernatural, scary, and downright creepy. If you
1: like what are you hear, Let's try that again. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe or follow to add us to your regular rotation of podcasts.
0: You can also submit any ideas, comments, and suggestions to our email address at O-T-H at SeriouslyDecent.com. You can also check out our website at othehorrorpodcast.com to check our full catalog, social media links, and all that sweet, buttery goodness.
1: Words are hard. I'm going to keep that. <laughs>
0: I'm going to keep that in. So just Definitely. a, uh, thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, let's see. This would be happy after or happy 4th. 4th. Yeah. Okay. Happy 4th of July. Yeah.
1: That's fireworks.
0: I should have had fireworks. <laughs> set up, but I didn't even know what the date was going to be.
1: Apparently.
0: Yeah. So a. Feels uh, like
1: a whole week since we've chatted guys.
0: It really has. <laughs> <laughs> weird coincidence so uh we're gonna put out first right and foremost um again we're a mom and pop podcast no big mega producer behind us uh so we run on uh equipment that we hope stays together and runs yes and uh unfortunately we've had some issues in the past couple episodes uh we're hoping that it's not a thing right but we apologize if there's some gaps, if yes. there's sentences that don't make sense. We're aware of that. Yeah. It's us trying to creatively work around some of the technical issues.
1: Yeah. However, there's no way to correct it in post. So,
0: yeah. And we're a one and done group.
1: Yeah. We're just going
0: to be honest because we don't have the time to do a take two. Right. So, the only time we'll do a take two is if the whole thing's butchered to hell
1: and the whole thing doesn't work
0: knock on wood we haven't had to do that yet uh but yeah we uh just hope that you bear with us uh we're we know possibly we're working on it yeah we're we're looking into troubleshooting it from a, a technical perspective also we're also thinking of getting some newer equipment yeah but we shouldn't be having these problems but the newer equipment, uh, we could get rid of some of these extra things that we have, right, from the mics to the mixer, right, and that'll reduce the points of failure, failure, yes. so to speak. So, yes. That
1: being said,
0: yeah. So uh, again, thank you if you're you're going through it. We're trying to make it as painless as possible on your end to where it's a couple of things. But I know what was it the previous one? I think it was a Travis, Travis Walton. Walton one was there the was one a where gap.
1: There were a couple.
0: Yeah gap there was a gap Sorry and, about and, that, and stuff guys. like that so uh probably the funny part of it is goes back to what I was talking about with bands where you know nobody really in the audience is paying attention podcasts right. are usually like background noise yes and we understand that because i listen to podcasts too yes some i really get deep into the zone to and want to listen to others are background noise while i'm working or puttering around the yard or riding the bike or something like that so i imagine if you didn't know it was happening then that makes me as a engineer right, yes. feel very good uh <laughs> and and makes me realize the creative uh room i have <laughs> uh, but for those who you know
1: those who did yeah, we know,
0: we know we're well aware of it and uh, to put us in your prayers to get it resolved yeah seriously but, yeah we're hoping by an episode by episode basis but it was so nice because we were getting in the groove there i know and i was just like yeah you know i don't have to I don't have to edit these. I don't have to do anything. We can just put them right up.
1: Good for Yeah,
0: yeah. And and then this stuff started happening. But it's the way. Uh, it, it's the it's way, way it goes, is, man. So we're doing uh, rock and roll month for the month of July. Well, music, music, music-related yes. uh, type topics and things like that for my sweet love of music. Yes. And basically, uh, we're starting with the Twenty Seven Club. mm Hmm. And for those of you that don't understand or don't know what the twenty-seven club is, oh, it's, it's
1: twenty-seven club, man. It's
0: basically an urban legend okay. at its at its core. Okay. Uh, and basically, it's this uh, urban legend that assumes the position that popular musicians, artists, and actors die at age twenty-seven with statistically anomalous frequency. Right. So basically, uh, there's just this spike and um so we're going to dive into that. Yes. We're going to get into it yes. and and take it apart and we're going to point out cuz there is something here uh yeah. You know, and if again, we'll I'll cover that in the in the later half to third of the podcast of how this seems right. weird. But you want to run with it or I will. Okay.
1: Um, I have one source, rollingstone.com, mm-hmm. the 27 club a brief history.
0: Okay, I have uh the wiki uh also the um something from the conversation.com uh this is uh dig.com and mike.com mic fair enough yep and oh before we even get started with that i have an addendum something to add on the travis walton one for last week yes a topic that was weird but uh, we didn't cover, and okay. I, I, I forgot to cover it in my notes. Okay. Uh, there was a weird thing with Travis Walton's experience in the area of where he got abducted. Mm-hmm. So they brought this, uh, uh, basically, this group of people to check out all the trees in that area mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. see what was going on. Mm-hmm. And the trees around the site where the abduction was had a, uh, a stronger uh, growth than any of the other surrounding trees. They took okay. all of these uh, these tree samples,
1: okay,
0: and there was something that happened, some sort of thing that made right. these trees in this specific area area have a higher growth rate, or okay. like they were just right. a different growth type and yes. a higher level than the rest. Hmm. I forgot to bring that up. It's pretty cool. It is cool. Yeah, adds more punch to the story. Which, if you haven't heard it yet definitely check it out it's our last episode episode 80 uh travis walton abduction uh the man who the base the gentleman that the movie uh fire Fire in the the sky sky, and the uh corresponding book was about but here we are at episode 81 27 club
1: it's funny because i label mine uh season two
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and it's season two episode 27 the 27 club Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) You you really want to know the funny part of that, audience? We didn't plan that at at all. all. God, that's weird. That is so weird. Show me. Oh, my God.
1: Look at all the 27s. Yeah. And, like...
0: Oh, it's weird, man. It is. It's weird. Far out. Okay. So...
1: The 27 Club is one of the most elusive and remarkably tragic coincidences in Mm. rock and roll history. The term became widely known after Kurt Cobain's death in 1994, with rock fans connecting uh, his age to that of Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin, Brian Jones, and Jimi Hendrix, though it was notable to fans in the early 70s when those four visionaries died. Within just two years of each other.
0: Yeah, there was the two points, and and those were definitely the two points.
1: And then again, when Amy Winehouse passed away at age 27 in 2011, it attracted even more attention to the significance of this age. Mm -hmm. And while the club has largely been connected to musicians, it has since expanded to uh, actors and artists who've lost their lives due to everything from addiction to suicide to freak accidents. And here are some of the most unfortunate and untimely losses inside club. So the very first one is Robert Johnson. Yeah. And before I even get into him, this dude is interesting enough that I think he should get his own episode.
0: Yeah, it was tough when we were doing these episodes for like Music Month, so to speak, and I really wanted to fit him in cuz he really does yeah, have a lot of he
1: really does a lot of
0: stuff behind him, and the audience will just have to wait and see yeah
1: okay so if we did that <laughs> <laughs> one of the delta blues most celebrated and singular talents Easily. robert johnson recorded chilling folkloric songs about hellhounds the devil and general despair amid swinging dissonant sometimes off-kilter guitar lines the likes of which have reverberated through rock and roll for decades, so he is an inspiration to many.
0: Oh, tons.
1: He recorded less than 50 songs, including ones later covered by Cream, Crossroad Blues, Captain Beefheart, Terraplane Blues, and the Rolling Stones, Love in Vain and Stop Breaking Down, and performed alongside the likes of Howlin' Wolf, Elmore James, and Memphis Slim as he rose to fame. You want to know how good the blues can get? Keith Richards once said, well, this is it. In August 1938, just a few months after his 27th birthday, Johnson made moves on the wife of the owner of a roadhouse where he was playing, drank from an open bottle of whiskey he was offered and died three days later of strychnine poisoning and pneumonia. And he's buried in an unmarked grave in Mississippi. Yeah,
0: there's so much lure ar- around Robert Johnson, even his death. Like oh, yeah.
1: Like, that's, there are uh, that's rumors a, Like, that... people say
0: that's a theory, you know. Yeah. And most brave ones that'll put for the official cause of death with Robert Johnson is unknown. Like, they just don't even want to yeah. get into it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I, At the end of the day, I I think he was murdered.
0: Yeah, we'll have to... See if maybe a future episode uh, uncovers that kind of stuff. We'll see. Yeah, right. So
1: let's discuss Brian Jones. Yeah. Uh, Jones's death at his country home in England in 1969 seems to be the result of his foolish behavior. To mix alcohol and drugs and then dive into the swimming pool was to swim directly into the arms of death. Mm -hmm. As clear as this seems, the death of Brian Jones has become one of the most persistent mysteries of rock and roll, with many people questioning the official version of what happened, even members of the Rolling Stones have expressed doubts. And still the mystery of his death hasn't been solved.
0: Keith and he was one of the founders Keith Richards of said, the Rolling Stones. Yeah. For those don't who know don't know what who happened, Brian Jones is.
1: But there was some nasty business going on. Now, I happened to listen to a podcast on this, dude. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? It's, it's weird. It's yeah. crazy. And they were saying that, His wife was inside, but like the groundskeeper was with him Mm -hmm. when he was in the pool and that the groundskeeper said and did nothing. Yeah. So do with that what you will.
0: I'm saving it all for the last third of this. uh, (laughs) I'll just stay quiet.
1: Alan Wilson, Canned Heat, enjoyed considerable artistic and commercial success crowned by an appearance at Woodstock in 1969 But guitarist Al Blind Owl Wilson was a troubled man. Like many in the 27 Club, he was estranged from his family. He lacked confidence and suffered from depression. One of his eccentric habits was sleeping outdoors, as he did at vocalist Bob Heights' house in Los Angeles on the last night of his life. Wilson's body was found in Heights yard on September 3rd, 1970. His hands were crossed over his chest and there was a bottle of the barbiturate Second all, by his side, cause of death was officially given as an accidental overdose of barbiturates, but drummer Fido de la Para has said he believes Wilson committed suicide.
0: Yeah, yep.
1: Jimi Hendrix, in the early hours of Friday, September 18th, 1970, while staying with a girlfriend in London, Jimi took some sleeping pills. Nobody knows for sure how many pills he swallowed or whether he understood what he was taking. The drug was Vesperax, a strong barbituate. Half a tablet was enough to put a man to sleep for eight hours. Jimmy may have swallowed as many as nine. Yeah. He had also been drinking, and this was foolish and reckless, but it was in character. During his years on the road, Jimmy had got into the habit of using drugs indiscriminately. Quote, Jimmy would take a handful of shit not knowing what it was. End quote. His friend Deering Howe has said...
0: Yeah, it's uh, Jimmy Hendrix, I think, is a great story. I mean, phenomenal guitarist, and even people today that look back at <laughs> Jimmy and they say, "Oh, well, you know, he wasn't really that good." It's like, it's the same thing with um, like Eddie Van Halen and Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah, they were doing things that no one did before. And so he- even like Eddie Van Halen and Stevie Ray Vaughan. Jimmy Hendrix was their hero. Yeah. Because he literally so like not to go I'm going to go on music tangents cuz it's music month. Yeah. And it's my favorite thing. Okay. But before Hendrix started playing, music was really on clean sound effects. Right. No distortion right. things like that. It was that typical like bebop uh, rock and roll even like the the Beatles mm-hmm. were doing just this nice clean Clean music, mm-hmm. and I—I'm not saying clean with language or anything like that, but the actual t- tone, tone Correct. running on a real clean tone. And Hendrix started getting into distortion, and then uh, basically was like the leader and founder of what they call the fuzz. Mm-hmm. And they literally, they to this day make a fuzz that just captures his sound as best as possible because right. he was the one that brought it out. So now he's playing with. The noise, like Jimmy Hendrix started making the noise that a guitar makes, and in- be a tone, right? And, and and actual music, right? Making
1: part of it, yeah,
0: yeah. The howling of feedback and yep, uh, the distortion and you know the fuzz and stuff and, and making that extra noise and it's basically considered that Eddie Van Halen like mastered it, mm-hmm. you know. Jimmy yeah. started it and then. <laughs> Eddie. It, Eddie was like, here, hold my beer. Check this out. Yeah. You know? But that's what made him crazy enough, you know, to try all that and is the exploratory nature of him. Like that takes such an exploratory mind to come up with something like that and to do things like that. It's so different. But he there's stories of him just on these drugs and these drug combinations. Right. And it was during that era of the 60s where people are just like Fuck it, man. Yeah. You know, and and just tried everything. It was all this exploration. Mm-hmm. I remember watching, I forget when it was, but it was Stevie Ray Vaughn playing at it's called Elma Combo in Texas. I think it's one of the best concerts they ever done. Mm-hmm. But I remember uh reading an interview of the bass player from Double Trouble mm-hmm. and he said uh he kept staring at him and he was just doing the stuff in the groove and the one guy conducting the interview was like yeah, were you just staring at all that? He goes, "No, actually, he took enough cocaine before that show to put down a horse." Yeah, we were just watching him to see if he could finish the show.
1: Right. Yeah, and
0: it's like you start looking at how these guys abuse themselves yes. on tour and yes. did all this stuff. So the whole combination of pills like that, like you said, it's notorious that he did that
1: mm-hmm.
0: at some point. You start dancing with the devil in that stuff. It's going to take you down. You're going to get burned.
1: And wasn't he left-handed? Like, didn't he
0: Yeah. teach he,
1: himself to he play? He changed.
0: Well, no, he's left-handed. Left-handed. But what he did that was genius was, and this also helped with his sound, is when you flip... Upside down. Yeah, when you flip a guitar over to play left-handed, yeah. now all the, uh, what's considered the high-pitched strings are on top instead of the bottom. Right. So he strung it in reverse and put the the lower tone strings on top got it, and the higher ones on the bottom. But what that did with a Fender Stratocaster is they say, this is getting into guitarist the arguments minutia, here, yeah. but those, uh, the way the strings were, the tension were, because there's a length mm-hmm. from yeah. the neck, the nut to the knobs Yes, that gave him the ability to do these just crazy bends and things like that. But the other thing they're not considering is he had hands like the size of like, They were enormous.
1: Yeah. You watch him like clutch. Long, long, long fingers. fingers. So, like,
0: you watch him clutch around the guitar. Like, he's holding onto it like it's a toothpick. Yeah. And that was another thing. Like, he was just genetically predisposed to be amazing at the guitar. He
1: just had a a talent. He had the hands for
0: it. He had the mind for it. He had the devotion and the dedication for it. Yep. And that's all stuff you can't teach. That's just stuff you have or Or you don't. don't. Yeah. And he just was that perfect model of. All of that, the physical, the mental, and just the ability to pursue it. Yeah, amazing man.
1: Janis Joplin. Yeah. It's certainly easy ima- uh, to imagine Janis feeling lonely as she returned to her hotel room in Hollywood after her last recording session as she sang, quote, a woman left lonely, end quote, one of the last songs she sang. She knew that her boyfriend was taking her for granted. At around 1 a.m. on October 4th, 1970, she got her heroin kit out and injected a vein in her left arm. When she went to to, uh, to go to the cigarette machine in the hotel lobby, returning to her room with a pack, she closed the door, started to undress, reached to put her packet on the nightstand, and as she did so, she keeled over, hitting her face on the table as she fell to the floor where she was found dead the next day.
0: Yeah, so to put this in perspective... Hendrix died September 18th, 1970. Mm -hmm. And Janis Joplin died October 4th, 1970. 1970. It's literally two weeks later. So that's where a lot of people get nuts about stars dying and how many die in a year. But like having two mega musicians, Jimi Hendrix, and then two weeks later Janis Joplin go. Right, yeah. Is something that like our generation and like more current we'll never really get to understand right having two that close together and
1: and they were icons and a phenomena icons if you will.
0: yeah and it's not even just an icon in music they were an icon in like the way of life and expressing yeah. yourself and and doing you know cuz Janis Joplin there wasn't a whole lot of women no that were and this is where i mean i'm going to maybe create more enemies than <laughs> than than remove some but it just goes to show that a, a woman could make it. Yes. You know, and, and I mean, you really look at Janis Joplin. Like, physically, she didn't have the features that would breed a success. You know, she had right. that attitude that she was just, like, one of the guys. You yeah. know, like, so against the yeah. like the picture-perfect Hollywood pin-up person or, right. or something yeah. like that. But she had this energy.
1: She did. And she had uni- a stage presence.
0: Yeah, but it was also a uniqueness. Yes. I think Janis is the... Janice and Jimi Hendrix are the great examples that stay timeless that, you know, uh, Jerry Garcia had the saying where it's like, I don't want to be the best musician. I want to be the best me.
1: Right. And like,
0: these were people that laid the the groundwork for that. Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, love or hate any of these folks, you know, but like Jerry Garcia, all them, they were the best version of them. Right. And that's all they ever wanted to be. Right. They didn't yeah. want to be the best this no. or the best that. And I mean, just the stage presence of Janice Joplin, like if you've only heard like album cut songs of her, songs of her
1: oh no, you need to get on YouTube,
0: put on a set of headphones and watch her live and just see the just powerhouse that this little teeny girl yeah. could do. I mean, she was a, a just a monster on the stage. Was. Yeah. She and was. It's a shame, but also all of that issues of being on the road and being on tour. And, and, and again, this era of the sixties, it was a dangerous era. I mean, they said she would just slam bottles of whiskey down.
1: Oh yeah. Like it was just
0: nothing. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a story where, uh, they were talking about the night she died. She went to, oh, it's that bar in the, um, in California and LA. Uh, it's, I forget whiskey a go-go something like that yeah and the dude uh he was like the owner's son or something gave her a case of whiskey Mm -hmm. and she left that night and the next day he thought that he killed her yeah because he gave her a case of whiskey and then he found out later that it was the heroin right you know not the whiskey yeah and i mean still like he doesn't feel good about it but right yeah. yeah i can't even imagine that
1: yeah seriously yeah that's why I, think I think he was like, fingers crossed, please don't say whiskey. Please don't say whiskey. Yeah, please yeah. don't say whiskey. <laughs> well,
0: yeah, and that's where I got to kind of laugh at the peddlers of the universe. Because, like, the guy who gave the whiskey is sitting there like, I don't want to be that guy. Where I guarantee, you gave
1: her a case of whiskey. Yeah, but, I mean,
0: <laughs> I guarantee that heroin dealer was just like, oh, oh well. Yeah. You know, there's another one. <laughs>
1: yeah. Ten more to replace her. Mm-hmm. Jim Morrison. Mm-hmm. The cult of Jim Morrison grew posthumously, taking off in 1979 when Francis Ford Coppola used the end in the soundtrack for Apocalypse Now. Part of the cult of Jim was the coincidence of him dying at the same age as Brian, Jimmy, and Janice. The 27 link helped reinforce the idea that Jim had been special, that his death was fated, And that there was something weird going on. The fact that Jim's girlfriend had died at the same age underlined the weirdness of the coincidence. This legend was familiar to everybody with an interest in popular music by 1994 when Kurt joined the club. Yeah. So Ronald McKernan. Ron Pigpen McKernan was a sensitive, somewhat unsightly character with a drinking problem. He got together with Jerry Garcia and Bob Weir in 1964 to form a jug band that developed into the Grateful Dead. Mm-hmm. Pigpen started drinking when he was 12, and by his mid 20s had cirrhosis of the liver, ulcers, and other health problems. And just so, just to make it clear, cirrhosis is it's a horrible disease from alcoholism. Yeah, and the um, the vast quantities. Of alcohol that you would have to consume. Yeah. That from 12 to his mid 20s, he had to be drinking cases of whiskey.
0: Well, yeah. And that's, uh, I think the typical thing they say with Pig uh, Pen is that uh, it, he just had like this gastrointestinal, just like hemorrhage failure. Yeah. Like it just all fell apart. And I mean, honestly, you want to listen to some of the greatest like dead tunes, it's with Pig Pen. Mm-hmm. I mean, just. Really, really good stuff. Uh, but again, it's going to be the reoccurring theme here. In that era, I mean, there was just excess yeah. upon excess upon excess. Well,
1: poor pig pen was on his own at his apartment in Corta Madera overlooking San Francisco Bay when the end came on March 8th, 1973. And he had been dead for up to two days when his landlady found him. Mm-hmm. Meh, meh. <laughs> Dave Alexander, the Stooges' founding bassist. Yeah. Dave Xander Alexander had the reputation of being a loose cannon before the group even came together. He dropped out of house, uh, high school 45 minutes into his senior year to win a bet, and he and the Stooges' guitarist, Ron Ashton, once traveled to England with hopes of running into the Beatles. He also contributed several outside-the-box ideas to the group, such as the Indian-inspired We Will Fall on their debut and clanging dirt rave-up on 1970s Funhouse. But when Alexander took too many downers before a festival appearance and couldn't play a few days before Funhouse came out, frontman Iggy Pop fired him. He'd spent the rest of his life battling addictions and health issues, according to the book The 27s. He began drinking so much that he developed pancreatitis, and after going to a hospital where his lungs filled with fluid, died of pulmonary edema in February 1975. He was the catalyst for so much of the stooges, Ron once said. He was so ahead of his time.
0: Really was.
1: Pete Ham. After Kurt Cobain, the most notable confirmed suicide is Peter Ham, a bad finger, one of the band's The Beatles signed to their Apple label in the 1960s. As is the case with suicides, Ham reached a point where death seemed to be the only solution to his problems. He met bandmate Tom Evans in a pub near his home in England on the evening of April 24th, 1975, three days before his 28th birthday, and told him, don't worry, I know a way out. Fortified with drink, Ham went back to his home, wrote a note in which he expressed his bitterness toward his manager and hanged himself in his garage. Evans hanged himself seven years later. Chris Bell. Chris Bell's career was as tragic as his demise. The talented musician was the driving force behind Power Pop hero's Big Star, co-writing much of the number one record with singer Alex Chilton and playing the guitar. Upon release, however, even though critics praised the music and especially Chilton, who had fronted the popular box tops as a teenager, the album flopped. In the six years following its release, Bell quit quit, uh, Big Star, slinked lower into his clinical depression and drug addiction and later had to work at his family's restaurant after more failed attempts to relaunch his career. In December 1978, Bell crashed his Triumph TR7 sports car into a pole while he drove home from band rehearsal, killing him instantly. Much of his solar. Solo work was released posthumously, reminding many of his significance in crafting Big Star sound. D Boone With the Minutemen, singer-guitarist D Boone helped expand punk and hardcore vernaculars to include funk, jazz, and improv while playing faster than a locomotive. Yeah. And along with label mates Black Flag the Southern California foursome helped define the scene's DIY ethos in the 80s. They put out four full lengths, including the monumental double LP, Double Nickels, on the, on the Dime, as well as several singles and EPs throughout the early 80s. They attracted some famous fans along the way, notably Michael Stipe, who invited them to open for REM on a three-week North American tour. A few days after they returned from the tour in December 1985, Boone grew ill with a fever. He nevertheless chose to visit his girlfriend's parents in Arizona for the holidays and decided to lie down in the back of the band's van so that he could rest as she drove. On the way, she fell asleep at the wheel, and as the band flipped, the front man flew out of its back door, broke his neck, and died. That was the worst, bandmate Mike Watt said in the book. Our band could be your life. No more of him, no more more Minutemen. I miss him. So the next one is not an actual musician.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Jean-Michael Basquiat. The year Jean-Michael Basquiat turned 20, he became an art world celebrity on the path to a pop culture turning point. After dropping out of high school, the self-taught, Brooklyn-born neo-expressionist artist spent the late 70s painting graffiti around Soho, tagged Samo. And in 1980, he allowed his paintings, which featured colorful, jagged renditions of people often juxtaposed with words, yeah. to be featured in a group show. In the years that followed, he collaborated with Andy Warhol on a series of paintings, dated Madonna, appeared in Blondie's Rapture video and cultivated the myth of the temperamental artist destroying some paintings and pouring dried fruits and nuts on the head of an (laughs) art dealer. (laughs) Along the way, he developed a serious drug problem. No surprise there. In the months leading up to his death in 1988 of acute mixed drug intoxication, namely opioids and cocaine, he claimed to be shooting 100 bags of heroin a day. He's since become w- one of the most celebrated artists of the past three decades, having been the subject of a biopic and uncountable references in Jay-Z songs. Got to tell you, don't listen to Jay-Z, so didn't know he was a He's reference. a phenomenal
0: artist, though. Like, check out his graffiti stuff. It's incredible. Definitely. Absolutely incredible.
1: Mia Zapata. As the lead singer of the Gits, Mia Zapata was a punk force and the the foremost female voice in Seattle's burgeoning male-dominated grunge scene. The band's debut album, Frenching the Bully, made them local favorites. But as they prepared their sophomore release, Zapata was brutally beaten, raped, and strangled to death in July of 1993. Grunge luminaries like Nirvana and Pearl Jam helped raise thousands of dollars to hire a private investigator to look for her murderer who was not found and convicted until 2003.
0: Yeah. It's also, um, don't quote me a hundred percent on it, but I'm pretty sure, uh, Rage Against the Machine, uh, also did a song. Uh, I think it's, uh, Zapata's, Zapata's blood, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and that's uh basically from the Battle of Mexico City. Okay. Uh, that song. And I, I believe that was all it was all part of that whole whole thing that was going on. But I am pretty sure they were they were involved with it too. It was a terrible, uh terrible death.
1: Oh, that's horrible. Brutal death. In the aftermath, her friends launched Home Alive, a self-defense organization, and hosted a series of benefit concerts and released compilations featuring an assortment of Seattle-based bands. Zapata's friends in 7-Year Bitch paid tribute tribute to her with their 1994 album, album Viva Zapata, while Joan Jett would go on tour with the Gitz under the name Evil Stig, mm-hmm. which is GITS Live Backwards. To benefit the investigation for her murderer as well as pay tribute to their friend. That's just horrible. Uh Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain's body was discovered by an electrician on Friday, April 8th, 1994. The answer to the question posed by the authors of Who Killed Kurt Cobain is simple. Kurt Cobain killed himself. He did so with sudden self-inflicted violence, leaving written evidence of his state of mind. Kurt's substance abuse counselor remembered how worried the musician had been about losing his home in a lawsuit quote suicidal people tend to want to make a statement end quote Niall Stimson said quote I just kind of felt he killed himself in his house as if to say you're not going to take my house no matter what end quote
0: there's so much mystery around that guy just in general yes and I remember like it it's amazing, like you go back in time and you, you think about where you were when certain things happen. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time I heard of Kurt Cobain and that was in Beaver's car. We were heading up to um it was uh Blue Mountain Lake mm-hmm. up in northern New York. And they were like, dude, you gotta hear this freaking song. Right. And it was um smells like teen spirit. Yep. And I remember playing it and like, it was just like, play it, rewind, play it, rewind. Cause it was right, a cassette yeah. tape Yep, and we listened to that song over and over again. And he had the nevermind album or the tape yeah. right there, but just the energy in that song and just yeah. like everything about it was amazing. Then you start learning more about him It's like myself that's into music and stuff. And, And then all of a sudden, you realize that there's like these two people. Yes. And like out in front of like what you would call the business Mm -hmm. and like the public side of it, he would be kind of this like downer type side. Then like as you learn more, as you read more about him, he was this very like funny, Mm -hmm. humorous guy. When they were in, you know, recording and things like that, just a lot of jokes. He was one who really saw through all the BS of the industry. Yeah. Saw through all of that. Uh, and then talk about watching someone just get a hold of heroin and stuff like that. Yeah. And I remember everybody talking about, like, the worst thing, you know, everybody would say, like, during that era is, like, he got a got a, caught up with Courtney Love. Yeah. And, and that's where, you know, there's so much mystery around that guy. I think the only ones who will ever truly know him are the members of Nirvana. Yes. I really think they're the only two that are ever going to know deep down what he's like. Cause I even noticed like Dave Grohl doesn't want to talk about him and I get it. Cause like such a amazing partnership through there. Yes. Uh, and, but also I think, I think he's at a point where it's like, I don't need to feed this conspiracy theory type of stuff around him. Like he doesn't prescribe into it. So they'll ask him questions and it's very just like to the direct, like, yeah, no, amazing part of my life, and such a amazing partner to have in in life, and and but like he doesn't feed into that, and I no. really respect Dave Grohl for that because Dave Grohl will fucking name drop like a motherfucker.
1: Yeah, he does share stories with Francis Bean. It's but light though, to a point. It's even light. that is to a point. Yeah, yeah, and
0: and you start getting into it because there's so many just like crazy conspiracy theories around like. There's this thing where there, you know, people talk about it, but there's no evidence that he either wrote or said something to his mom just before he was going to, um, you know, before he was found dead. Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to join the club,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: and they're talking about the 27 Club. Yeah. And this is, again, where it just, like, reignited mm-hmm. with Kurt Cobain. And, and then there's the whole Kurt and Courtney documentary, which, right. if you haven't seen that, holy shit. Yeah. Because I don't know how accurate it is, but if if it is accurate, there's some really huge yeah. things that you have to deal with with that because it's it makes it really messy on mm-hmm. what's going on. But I know personally, I remember watching Nirvana Unplugged and there was two parts of that that were incredible to me. I think it was finally like the respect that those guys deserved yes because you saw them as musicians Mm -hmm. and not just these loud screaming uh distortion playing musicians that a lot of other generations perceive them as right didn't really get them uh and he had a habit of making just these incredible melodies he was just an amazing melody maker for songs
1: he had some dark lyrics though
0: dark lyrics but also um you know, and this is where you start tiptoeing around the Nirvana fans because there's these loyal Nirvana fans that have a, a take on him that he doesn't even sell himself. And again, where it right, gets yeah. it gets cultish, where because I remember I was talking with one fan and I was like, "Well, I'm like, you know, most of the lyrics he made were, they were just jokes, mm-hmm. you know? No, 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 no. All of them were serious. I'm like, no, dude, a lot of them were jokes. I mean, for one way or another, he was." joking on this and that he's even come out and said it yeah on certain areas like oh yeah that no that just doesn't and and Seattle was great with that Mm -hmm. I mean like even Soundgarden Black Hole Sun yeah Chris can Chris Cornell comes out every time everybody's like oh that's heroin that's this it's that it's you know addiction it's all that he's like no dude I just made it up I had a cool melody I had all so I just put these words together And it just showed how great they were as melody makers, right? Yeah, like to to be a, a melody maker on like the Beatles level, mm-hmm. you know. And that's what Kurt Cobain was. He had these just amazing melodies with things, and he knew how to create these these nice little songs with melodies and right. things that would grab you and hook you in, and 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 just grab you real tight, and, right, yeah. and you know, put a lot of energy inside of you, and then and then release and let go. And
1: I got a whole lot of respect whole lot more respect for them when they did their unplugged because
0: the unplugged part was yeah. amazing because again, here it's they raw. are on acoustic.
1: They can't total they raw. Couldn't hide behind the music,
0: but also what you saw too is what, what like they, they were founded on. And like, yeah. you know, when he did, uh, the man who, uh, sold the world mm-hmm. for David Bowie. I mean, like, I remember listening to that. I'm like, man, this is better than David Bowie. I didn't even think that was humanly possible. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just that real dark, just in the mud type of stuff. Uh, They did some some songs from bands that they fouled and, right, and yeah. were into. But, yeah, the whole mystery of all that, I think it's one of those mysteries. It'll just never be solved.
1: No. Because
0: you have the, the crowd that he committed suicide. You have the crowd that Cono- he was Courtney yeah. forced him into suicide. Yep. And then you have the other crowd that's like, he was murdered. Yeah. And... Yeah. Uh, they all three have compelling cases. Yes. They have compelling supporting evidence. Yep. But the fact is, is you're just never going to know. No. It's a, it's a mystery. And honestly, I think if Kurt did kill himself, I think that's what he would have wanted. Was yes. it to be this mystery and just yes. a, ha, yeah.
1: you know. You still don't know. No, just
0: chew yeah. on this for the rest yep. of your life, you know. Um, <laughs> but I loved him. I still do. Yes. I still listen to the band. I still listen to, uh, you know, even he turned me on to a lot of bands that I would have never known the light of day of. And he was big with that. Yeah. Nirvana was big with that. There was all these. He was the one for making Seattle go boom. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks it's Pearl Jam and all yeah. that other stuff. It was him because he was always just pulling these just these small bands that no one would have heard the freaking light of day, and he yeah. paved through. Yep. And all of a sudden, these record labels, of course, being business people, being like, "Well, man, if people like Nirvana, Let's then
1: strike while they iron's hot." Yeah, yeah,
0: you know, they're really gonna like these strike guys. Crank out these know. widgets. Yeah. <laughs> And, and then that was the crime of it growing up because I remember like just how raw some of these other bands were and, and then it just got commercialized Yeah, and I'm sure that's what drove him crazy. Yeah. You know, you could see it in interviews, you know, yep. where he would just give all these just weird answers and fake answers and just, you know, make a joke out of it. My opinion, he was like the, uh, he was like the comedian of the Watchmen. That's where I yeah. placed Kurt Cobain. Okay. Yeah.
1: See it, <laughs> Kristen Faff. Yes, one of the mourners at Kurt's Seattle memorial was Kristen uh, Faff, a member of Courtney Love's band Hole mm-hmm. and a former former girlfriend of fellow member Eric Erlandson. Two months after Kurt's death in 1994, Faff died of a heroin overdose in the bath at her Seattle apartment. Just like Jim Morrison. Jim Morrison, too, died in his uh, bathtub.
0: She was a bass player in a band called Janitor Joe.
1: Nice. That is
0: like the greatest band name ever. Eh.
1: (laughs) She was 27 and the third member of the Seattle music community to die at that age within a year.
0: Yeah.
1: Randy Stretch Walker. At the height of his popularity, Tupac Shakur's power was such that a person could become famous simply by existing in his direct vicinity. That's true. That may be how Randy Stretch Walker rose to prominence, but he possessed far too much raw talent to be written off as another hanger honor. A skilled producer and strong rapper in his own right, Stretch was a regular guest on Pac's studio records after a run with his own group, Live Squad. Whether behind the boards or on the mic, Stretch exuded the original gangsta authenticity that sold records during the 90s. This same realness eventually made him the target of a November 1995 assassination in Queens, less than a year before Tupac himself would be fatally shot. Now they're both clinking glasses of O.E. in the kingdom.
0: In the kingdom.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Jeremy Michael Ward was found dead of a heroin overdose in his L.A. home in May 2003. It was less than a month before the debut album of his band, Mars Volta, Mm -hmm. was set to be released. Despite Deloused at the comatorium being the band's first LP, it was one of the most hotly anticipated records of the year. At the drive-in, founding members Omar Rodriguez Lopez and Cedric Bixler-Zavala had disbanded the El Paso post-hardcore outfit in 2001 just as they were cresting into mainstream fame, abandoning their place as the next Rage Against the Machine in favor of weirder pastures. They teamed up with childhood friend and longtime collaborator Ward, who, as the band's sound manipulator, was able to realize their left-field ideas. DeLaust was a Rick Rubin-produced prong-punk, opera set in the mind of a drug-induced coma patient, which semi-factually told the story of their friend Julio Venegas, an artist who had leapt to his death off a Texas freeway overpass in 1996. But despite Ward's rambunctious demeanor and avant-garde talent, when performing with the band, he sat offstage manipulating the music with an elaborate pedal setup and a Korg Kaos pad. Yeah. After his death, the band continued to release albums, though none would equal the success of the first. That's true. Jonathan Brandis, Jonathan Brandis's 2003 suicide is a dark reflection of the too frequent downfall of former child stars. Brandis began acting at age six, holding down bit parts in soap operas and sitcoms before graduating to films like Stephen King's *It*. But it wasn't until 1993. At the age of 17, when he got his big break in the popular series Sequest DSV, Mm -hmm. he became an instant heartthrob, receiving thousands of fan letters and causing levels of public pandemonium that neared Beatlemania. But the show was canceled in 1996, and Brandis struggled to maintain his fame and career. In 2002, he was set to appear in Heart's War, starring Bruce Willis and Colin Farrell, a film he saw as his opportunity for a comeback, but all of his scenes were cut. A year later, he hanged himself in his Los Angeles apartment and later died at Cedars-Sinai Hospital. Amy Winehouse. What Amy's state of mind was when she took her last gulps of vodka at home in London in July 2011, no one will know. It's impossible. She had said there were things she still wanted to do with her life, but she seemed unable to take action. Despite being a remarkably honest and open person in many respects, she had also been cagey about her inner life. Observing Amy as we have, there is a strong sense that she was sick of her career, like Jimi Hendrix and Kurt Cobain. She had become a prisoner of her image, and as with Janis Joplin, her man was glaringly absent at the end so were other people Amy had depended upon and, in many cases, exhausted.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: It's unfortunate because she had gone and they forced her into rehab, and she had 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 another overdose, which is what prompted the rehab in the first place. Mm -hmm. And her family was told that she can't do this again physically. She just can't. Yeah. And that's when they put her in rehab. And when she got out, she was good, but briefly, very briefly.
0: It's the business. Yeah. I really can't say it any other way. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember when I quit smoking and drinking and like everything all at the same time. I got to laugh. People are like, oh, you know, well, why don't you get drunk again? It's like, because if I get drunk, like really drunk, I'm going to want to have a cigarette. And then once I have a cigarette, then I'm going to be like, yeah, you know what? I want to smoke some weed. Yeah. And then I'd be like, all right, where's the Coke? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just people don't want to admit it. That's how it works.
1: Yes. It really is. It is.
0: Don't believe me? Look in the past. It's a I- fucking recipe. Yeah, right listen here. Listen
1: to the podcast. Yeah, listen to,
0: you know, see these names. But these names, it's different. And I'm going to get yeah. into that quick. Uh, But Amy Winehouse was a real tragedy because... Everyone saw it coming.
1: Yes, it
0: was this point where we had too much access to stars. Yes, knowing too much of what they're going through. Yep, and like you just knew,
1: like you knew
0: this is is where it's going. Like this is going to end one way. We just don't know when. Concert
1: or something where she couldn't even perform. Like she just sat down at the drum kit, like she was observing it, not realizing that she had to perform. Mm.
0: I don't know that certainly, but I mean, there's a lot of stories around the teardown of her, you know?
1: And the last one I have is another uh, actor, Anton Yelchin. Yeah. Did a lot of work in his 27 years from 2011 to 2015 alone. He appeared in 18 films, not including various voiceover gigs and yet not nearly enough. A sensitive actor with a penchant for visionary auteurs such as Jim Jarmusch, Drake Doremus, and Jeremy Saulnier, his best years had barely begun when he died in a freak accident pinned against a brick pillar by his own car. But he leaves behind a versatile stellar filmography jumping from blockbusters he made for an excitable checkoff in the Star Trek reboots to horror Homages. He was the spine of 2011's Fright Night remake, to small scale romance. He courted Felicity Jones and, like crazy, there's no telling what he could have done. But now, all we can do is be grateful for what we've got. I remember when that happened, and what a freak accident it was.
0: Yeah, that was that was a, a total shock.
1: I remember the two of us just turning and looking at each other like, "Holy shit!"
0: Yeah, it just uh. I freaking loved uh loved that dude in the movies he was oh in. Oh my god, was,
1: he was great in Star Trek. He was
0: amazing in Star Trek. I mean just the like even the like his like his diction was like <laughs> yes, it was oh not god, interpreted was by the computer yes, so like yes. he had to quiet everybody down, slow down and yes. just initiate <laughs>
1: yeah, Oh my god, it was great. <laughs>
0: yeah, it was little things like that like just making the writing and like how he did it, you know, just a real kind of natural at that type of stuff. But it gets into, like, is this really a club? Is this a thing? There's 62 names. Yes. They will, for lack of a better term, 62 members.
1: Of said club.
0: Of said club, the 27 club. And this is where uh numbers and numerology. Okay. Becomes a, a deal. Because
1: how to do a numerology yeah episode at some yeah
0: point. no i want to sandbag that for a while because i want to have a lot of mounting evidence <laughs> to <laughs> fucking destroy all the numerologists it's <laughs> just going to be a, an hour of pounding you know but basically I... it's a, just a number that rings it's 27 you've got these big names yes but at the end of it it's 62 of them yes roughly let's just say anywhere between 60 and 70 for lack of a better uh you know number so what I liked about the conversation.com is, you know, they talk about this myth of the 27. So the nice right. part is, is we can pull all these dates together of musicians and really find out what's the median average of a musician's lifespan. Okay. You know, this is the, uh, the, the, the time and, and beautiful wonder of data that we have around. Right, yes. And age 56 is actually the highest frequency of deaths for musicians. Okay. And this all makes sense to me. Okay. 27, I think the 27 club represents a group that just totally threw away all benefit of protecting themselves. Yes. And it I think it shows that if you if you take the music scene and you try to take everything it gives you. Right. I think 27 is like the
1: That's as far as you can that's go. That's the
0: number. <laughs> I think that's the yeah. that's the that's where that trail ends. You know, yes. like Imagine you're a musician or a movie star Mm -hmm. and you're walking down this trail and there's this guy right at like a, an intersection Mm -hmm. and there's, you know, three or four spots and they basically say, okay, here you go. You've got three choices. Mm -hmm. You can just put, abandon all type of reserve or any kind of, uh, caution Mm -hmm. and safety and go down this way. Right. That's going to get you to 27 years old. You can but, do some of it and you can do, and now again, like everything, there's an exception to the rule. Mm-hmm. Keith Richards, you know, I mean, I think he made Moses's first shoes, right? That's uh, something, uh, like, something that. like that. Yeah.
1: But I think if the world ends, there will be cockroaches Keith and Richards. Keith
0: Richards. Yeah. Basically. But I think like that's, you know, so, and then if you want to go through this moderately, Mm-hmm. And and have some fun, but also go through it because I, here's the thing. Like I remember reading something with Rush where they toured. It was something like 200 and, like 80 days out of the year right. they toured.
1: Yeah. It's insane. They also toured with Kiss.
0: Oh no, but I'm just saying, like them as a band, yeah, headlighting, yeah, you know, they. They did like 280 days. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just like the abuse on. That's literally going at times like 14, 16 days in a row. Yeah. Before you get any rest. I mm-hmm. mean, it's insane. It's a pounding lifestyle on you. And that's where I see like just either the work is going to kill you, or it's the work and the substance. Right. So now what you have is you have these creative minds, and here's the the trade off with drugs especially the psychedelics and all that other right, stuff yes. is it does ignite this creativity in you yes, that you don't have off of anything else. Right. And I think some of it is, is, you know, there's this dependency on it, not just physically to get high or get away from things, but, but to make, their,
1: to make their art, to yeah. make
0: things. But all, and, and this is all the variables with, with musicians. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you know, so you've got this factor against you. Right. And there's people lining up with all the drugs in the world to give you. You don't even have to buy it. Right, they, yeah. They just want to be the one that's like, hey, man, I got uh I got Kurt Cobain off in that Texas gig, you know, or right, whatever. Yeah. And, you know, they wear it like a fucking badge. And so you've got all of that in front of you. And these are normally people that didn't get Any kind of notice or anything, most of their lives. Yes. And then finally, you know, it's just, it's literally a snap of a finger. They're now these worldwide phenoms.
1: Yeah. And everybody's around
0: them. And so, they remind
1: me of sparklers. Like they burn bright and mm -hmm. fast.
0: Yeah. And then the other crime is this they have this whole team of people around them not just the business, but the groupies, the groupies and everything. I'm not saying it's a team they hired. Mm -hmm. They literally just have this team Mm -hmm. indoctrinated around them. And after a while, like the Amy Winehouses and all of them, they realized that none of these people give two flying fucks about them. Correct. It's all about them. Right. Being next to you. Right. And, and that becomes a devastating bout. I can't even imagine the depression of knowing that, like you go, you worked hard all your life to Mm -hmm. be this, uh, star, right. You know, some of them just want to be stars Mm -hmm. like George Michael interviews. He's like, that's all I wanted to be was famous. Mm -hmm. That's all I wanted to be. Yeah. And then, you know, too bad it came true for him. Yeah. He became famous. And
1: And sometimes you become famous for
0: what you don't
1: necessarily intend.
0: But the problem is, is being famous. You're not just going to be famous on what you do. You're going to be famous on everything Everything. else. Yep. And that's the thing they don't calculate. No. But also what you realize in the end after being famous is like, none of these people are really on your side. Right. And like the Amy Winehouse stuff, you really saw on the documentary they did with her. Was it just titled Amy or something like that?
1: I think. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I hated watching it because you just really were watching the destruction of a person. Of a person. And it was sad. It was so sad. It was sad enough to watch it on the sidelines, let alone watching it on the documentary and having that inside stuff. Because like there's these people around her and you're like, dude, you don't give a fucking shit about her. Yeah. No, you don't care. No, you know, and, and you see it with some of these artists where they get really just drugs take a hold of their life. Yep. Uh, the, the misdirection of everything. It just, Mm -hmm. there's this poison in them. Yes. And then they go and they send them off to rehab and they're just like, Oh, all right. Yeah, like that's
1: going to magically fix it You've been
0: exercised to the poison, and you're getting on your feet, you're learning you, and then you've got these leeches that just come right back and like, when are you going to record again? When are you going to be back on this? And and it has nothing to do with her. No. They don't give two fucks about her. They want their name on a fucking uh, album jacket or something like that. They They want their cut. They want their cut of money, you know, and and it's just this, uh, that's where... Like, loving music the way I do, I hate the industry. Yeah. Can't stand the industry. And it's the same thing with acting and actors. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why I have a chip on my shoulder for, quote, unquote, Hollywood. It's just like, it's if you want to destroy a person, just become a musician or an actor or an actress. Yeah. If you really want to destroy your life, yeah. there's so many people that just tote the line perfectly. Mm-hmm. And even then, like, you almost don't want to meet your heroes with that. Right. But. Yeah. But most of them, they've figured it out. And they're the ones that you never hear of. Right. Like I, you know, I have a, a thing with Pearl Jam. Like, when I grew up, oh, loved Pearl Jam. Mm-hmm. Pearl Jam was everything. And then I was just talking about this with a co-worker the other day. And uh, I said, but, yeah, Pearl Jam could come through. I I don't need to watch them. No. Because it fulfilled, like, a part of my life when I was younger. Yes. And it was great. I, yes. I'm glad they existed Yes. I'm glad they wrote the music, yes. but to see them at the age they are now yeah. singing those songs just looks weird to me.
1: Yeah.
0: Now, granted, if you've never seen Pearl Jam before, right. I would get where that would be a thing. Yes. You know, and it's kind of like what we were talking to Eagles, like uh, somebody went to see the Eagles and I was like, so you're going to see the Eagles without Don Henley. It's like, what's the point? You know, and it's like, but then I learned, yeah. And, and Glenn Fry, like, you know, you're not going to see the beat or the Eagles without Glenn Fry and even Walsh, you know, I mean, it's just like, it's like the band isn't there, you know? Yeah. But then I got to pull back and realize it's like, okay, yeah, you've never seen the Eagles. Right. Yeah. You know? And, and it's like, okay, I'm, I get that. Yeah. But like on my perspective, yeah, I just don't have a practicality for it because like it was just a certain time then. Versus, say, like, the Dead and Company. Yes. Where everybody gives John Mayer crap for being in that and all that. I think he serves his role perfectly in that. Yeah. But, like, the Grateful Dead is this, like, long journey that I've had my whole life. Right. And I've had it my whole life since I've been introduced to them. But
1: it's a long, strange trip, so it would make (laughs) sense... But no, I no, mean, I you, know mean what I, you know what I'm saying? No, like, but I still hold still hold a
0: value to Grateful Dead songs. Like right. I listen to certain Grateful Dead songs now and I get a whole new meaning out of them than when I listened to them when I was younger.
1: Right, yes. And,
0: and there's just that lifelong stuff. Correct, yes. Uh, and that's where I just, there's some bands where I look and it's just like, I, I can't, you know. I, I, I wouldn't be able to connect to Jeremy with Pearl Jam now right. in my late 40s than I did when I was in my 20s. Yes. You know, I just couldn't – I wouldn't be able to connect to that. Yeah. It's it's a different connection altogether. And even just watching them sing that, it's yeah. just like, oh, you know. It, but I'm different. I, yes. I get that. I really do. But the whole – yeah, the whole 27 Club thing, it it's just – it's, it's numerology at its best. Yes. You know, where now you're starting to look for 27. Mm-hmm. And if you look for 27, that's you're all gonna you're going to do is find everywhere. 27. Yeah. And 56 does basically throw, to me, a highest frequency of deaths because 56, in their 50s, this is where a lot of people seem to fall off. Yeah. And your body can only take so much.
1: Right. Yes. If you've done irreparable harm to yourself yeah. from years of abuse, either through touring or substances, your body's only going to be able to handle that for so long. Mm -hmm. So, you know, unless you get pretty freaking strict about it and cleanse yourself like in your early thirties, you could do severe damage to
0: yourself. Yeah. Well, and that's what I'm saying. I think it's that trail, it's that trail of you just don't throw caution to the wind. No. You go for it. You go for it. Yeah. And I just, that's probably the age that it just, you know, because they all have that in common with the exception of a van accident, right, car yes. accident or something like or that. Or being murdered. Correct. Yes. But even that, I think you're putting yourself in a risk pool.
1: Simply by.
0: By going this hard yeah, at something.
1: Yeah. yeah. And,
0: and where I really saw this was my coworker, Mark, and I sitting there at work. And one day, I think he brought it up. And he was at first and then we just kind of like did our own little kind of side like research on it. But we found that people who win the lottery have an increased chance of dying within it's like a handful of years after they win the lottery. And it it just makes sense because you have normal Joe and Jane Blow who are going through their life. They're going to work. They drive on, you know, they commute back and yeah. forth. They do this. They go on a vacation and they might bungee jump once in a while or, right, yeah. or, you know, ride on a roller coaster do some hand gliding or scuba diving or something like that. But when you win the lottery, it's just like, I can do anything. Yeah. And again, it's the same thing as this here, where, you know, okay, you just increased your risk right. a ton. Cause you're, you know, you're driving around in a, a closed track in a race car. Because exactly. you can afford it, but you would have never have done that exactly. if you were just Joe Blow, you know, yeah. the school bus driver.
1: Sure, I'll parachute out of an airplane. Yeah,
0: you know, let's go and hike up uh, some crazy mountain. Yeah, and I'm not a hiker. Never yeah. hiked. I'm not just going to do this simple little thing. No, I'm going to go for this crazy I'm fucking. Scale Everest. Game. Yeah, just stupid You're shit. You're going to die. <laughs> yeah, and some of it looks in the code of like. Mysterious accidents and mysterious things, but it's like you are putting yourself in a different risk pool. Correct. And uh yes. I find that fascinating with stuff like that. And yeah, the twenty seven club, this is something that'll never end. No. Cause just when it starts to fade away,
1: somebody else somebody
0: dies. else is gonna get into the yep. club and they're gonna be like, Oh, there it is, man.
1: Reignited She's a
0: twenty seven club, you know. And uh but it's a shame. Of the people that have passed yes, in those regards. I mean, there's some just amazing some minds. amazing
1: artists. And yeah. we only got, like...
0: But we got enough. We did. I hate to sound cold and shallow, but but at the we end... We got
1: it, what we were supposed to get.
0: Yeah, well, you got everything out of them. Yeah. That's what I try to explain to people that, like, die young, mm-hmm. that burn bright. Yeah. It's like... You got everything out of them. Yes. They gave you everything. everything. yeah. So you can be very depressed about it, and you can look at all the downside of it. Right. But, I mean, like, even Hendrix, like, he had that whole bit of, because um, he had two basic bands that he was bouncing.
1: The Experience and... Uh, yeah, so you
0: had The Experience, and then you had the Band of Gypsies. Band of Gypsies. And that was really kind of, like, going through, even, like, to now... Like when you talk to a Jimi Hendrix fan, there's either the Experience fan or the Band of Gypsies. Right. And like for big fans, that's the question. It's like, so who are you into? You know, because right, then you yes. know who you're talking to. I'm a Band of Gypsies guy. Personally, I love the. I like both. Yeah, I love the Experience. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Mitch Mitchell was probably one of the top three reasons why I started getting into drums. Mm-hmm. I mean, just hands down, phenomenal drummer. I mean, anybody to keep up with him and keep everything in time. Right. And hold it all together. Yeah. People don't get how hard that is, because I mean he's just this wandering, right? Like yeah. scarf in mm-hmm. the wind, just blowing all over. And somehow Mitch Mitchell was able to put a beat behind that and make right, it, yeah. make it like uh, measured, you know, right. and
1: make it make sense. Yeah,
0: make it make sense to a certain degree. I mean, a true genius as a drummer and totally underrated. Yeah. But the funny start of Band of Gypsies was. So he's going through the experience, and again, the industry's clamoring around him. We're like, we need an album now. We need this. And he's like, dude, I don't want to fucking do that. I want to do my own shit, you know? Yeah. So what the deal was is uh, he had one more album or one more thing he had to cut before he could leave the label. And do what he wanted. He wanted to leave the label because he was just tired of it. So he gets together with the band of gypsies. And did that whole live at the Fillmore Mm -hmm. uh, concert. And then that was to kind of figure out what they were doing. Mm -hmm. They only knew like seven or eight or like nine songs doing that show. They were formulating everything together. And what everybody says, and I agree, is that's probably his best show because he didn't care. Right. Right. Like, he wasn't pressured to do this. He wasn't pressured to do that. And he was just like, fuck it. I'm going to go out here and play. Mm -hmm. And whatever comes out, comes Comes out. Yeah. But I know once I'm done with this, we'll cut the album. And they did, like, a studio album after that. But that was just to get the songs in play. And uh, it was, I think, like a New Year's Eve show or something. It's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. It's some of his best playing. And the bass player and drummer are absolutely phenomenal in the band of gypsies. I mean, it's just, like, real tight. Drummer's like a cement mixer just going down the road, just bang. And uh, the bass player is just, oh, just amazing. And, uh, and that's where, it's funny how things work like that, just from a whole global sense of living. Mm-hmm. Like, he was just trying to go through the motions to get something done, wanted to get this thing away from him, and this amazing, beautiful experience occurred. Right. It just shows where where yep. certain things lie. It's really, really incredible. But, again, a shame that he left, but, man, did he leave a wake behind him. He sure did. Boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. So we got Cult of the Month next week. We do! I love Cult of the Month.
1: I know you do. I don't
0: know if anyone else does. <laughs> I've gotten good feedback uh. with Cult of the Month, so we're still <laughs> doing it. And, yes. and for those of you that don't like Cult of the Month, we're doing it for the year and then we'll see we'll, we'll assess, reassess, yes. We'll assess what's going on, but the metrics are showing that people are digging the cult of the month. Yes. So in the music rock and roll sense,
1: <laughs>
0: we're going with who?
1: The Waco siege. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and if you're sitting there with a question you're mark, like, what? Yeah, you'll get it next week.
1: You sure will, man. Because
0: uh, David Koresh just wasn't a uh, a religious uh, he was not nut he job out in Texas. Also had his
1: own band. He had man. his own
0: band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Th- I'm looking forward to talking to Waco because I think finally what we can get into this nice uh, like trans aggression of, you know, this transformation of like yes. going through cult of the month, starting with these just like straight up cults. Yes. Getting into things. This was kind of a mix of a deal because I remember when this happened and people were in a toss up because at the end of the day, these guys weren't really bothering anybody. Right. Um, And then, you know, this is where people started wondering what the atf was up to and we're gonna get into yeah, all that we'll then. get into it but it's uh i i like how it's going into that and then we can kind of dip down mm-hmm. and up again mm-hmm. but i hope you like the 27 club i hope you're looking it's forward
1: fortunate that we even have it
0: yeah i'm looking forward uh to covering waco yes and again if you uh weren't paying attention in the beginning the technical issues we're working on.
1: We are aware.
0: We hope we uh, don't have to deal with it now. Fingers crossies, crossies.
1: Yes. <laughs> but the,
0: um, but we, yeah, we appreciate your patience with it. And we're yeah. we're trying to figure it out.
1: We're so trying, man.
0: With that being said, rule number one: no
1: Ouija boards. Two, no dolls. Three, no capes.
0: Rule number four:
1: no blood rituals. No. Nope.
0: Number five.
1: No cults. Satanic or otherwise. Six. No apathy. You need to act to help enact a positive change in this world. It is possible. Little baby steps.
0: Rule number
1: my children in. Don't do it. Actually, just don't give them whatever it is they're asking yeah, just for. just
0: face forward move yeah.
1: on. Be like, no Ablo words you're saying.
0: Yeah. Speaking of Ablo, how about rule ocho?
1: Just listen.
0: Just listen, folks. It's that yeah, simple.
1: It is. It really, truly Just is. Just listen
0: and, and and move on.
1: Yep. And write a sad poem in your journal. Yeah. Just yep. move on.
0: We love you all, folks. Thanks for tuning in, as always. If you know of uh, somebody that can dig us, uh, please spread the word. Yeah. We, uh, we like it. And apparently it is happening because we uh, we keep growing. So nice. Thanks a lot. Yes. This nice little just beautiful just incline you know no up down up down up down just this nice incline and chugging along if you
1: like the show and you want to stay connected or you know see what else we have to offer Mm -hmm. check out our facebook group um i share a lot of different things from ghost hunting experiences to just weird and random
0: cool stores we like cool stores
1: um which tips we've got some budget witch tips which yeah. you know hey
0: you can link right to that that's uh, your jam you can link right the best way to connect with that because there's a lot of horror related themes and not saying you shouldn't go to other ones we encourage that but yeah. go to oh and click through the Facebook link there and that'll give give that'll you direct access the, to our group, group. Yep. and we'll uh we'll approve your invite so to speak. So we hope you have a wonderful, wonderful fourth.
1: And in keeping with that, in keeping with a wonderful fourth. Here
0: comes the rules. (laughs) I don't even know what you're going to say, but I know it's a rule. Well,
1: I was going to say, make good choices. Okay. Right? (laughs) Sounds
0: great. It's a rule. It is. Love you folks. Take care.